Hi everyone, I'm Ian and this is Maggie, and on this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast, we're going to be doing All Quiet on the Western Front, a classic anti-war movie. Yeah, so that name probably sounds familiar to a lot of people, um, because if you were like us, you had to read the book in school that uh, this movie is based off of. The book is also called All Quiet on the Western Front, and it came out in 1928 and was written by Eric Maria Remarque. Um, and I actually thought that this version stayed very close to the book. I don't know like how much you remember from having to read it. Honestly, if you felt not the same much, way. but <laughs> um, I, I thought that it did a very good job at portraying what little I did remember. Yes. And I think it's very interesting that the book came out in 1928. And of course, this movie, as you said, 1930. So that's two years after the book has come out. The book is not only fresh in everyone's memory, but also World War One is very fresh in everyone's memory. And then because we're talking early 30s, you really don't have World War Two too far away. So I think this kind of sits at a very important part in history. And I think that's definitely probably a reason that it won um, because it was so culturally culturally relevant at the time. In also, addition to being a very well-made movie. Yes, it is also so good. I really, really enjoyed it, and I i don't know about you. I went into this thinking that I would probably enjoy it, but I like didn't realize the extent to which I would enjoy it, and I didn't realize kind of just how good it was going to be. Well, and you can call me a skeptic, because war movies are usually not my thing. <laughs> but I went into it and, and did really enjoy the cinematography, yeah. the screenplay, um, and the overall construction of the story was really, really good. Yes. Um, war movies and westerns, not not your forte. That's that's more my thing. <laughs> Very true, but that doesn't mean I can't watch them and enjoy them. Yes. Um, so along with Best Picture, um, this movie was also nominated for Best Director. Uh, Lewis Milestone, who won for Best Director, um, this was the first picture to win both Outstanding or Best Picture and also Best Director, which I think is something that we actually see a decent amount today. Those two kind of seem to go hand in hand, or it's very rare, I think, that you see a Best Picture nominee not also get nominated for Best Director. Well, then they do kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, it, may, it makes sense. Um, it was also nominated for Best Writing, but lost to The Big House. Um, and it was also nominated for Cinematography, but lost to With Bird at the South Pole, which I haven't seen, but based on that title... I'm guessing the cinematography was pretty phenomenal. Well, and if it bested All Quiet on the Western Front, yes. it better have been phenomenal. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine it having beat All Quiet and not be phenomenal. So we'll see. We'll, we'll circle back after we uh, take some time to watch that and see what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should some some point down the road. Um, also, just kind of like a couple interesting things on background. So uh, it's not the first war film to win, but it is the first talkie war film to win. Um, there is a sequel from 1937 called The Road Back that portrays members of the company returning home after the war. Um, I have not seen it. I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, I feel like it would be interesting because, spoiler alert, I mean, basically most of our main, uh, like all of our main characters die. Mm -hmm. Almost. So I, I don't know exactly who we're following going back home. Well, and we almost got a little bit of a taste of that sequel in later parts of All Quiet. Yes, which so, I think we're we're going to talk about some of that very in-depth. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, another note that um, I thought was interesting was Steven Spielberg specifically noted Milestone's directing as partial inspiration for Saving Private Ryan. 
which I think when you watch like the assault sequence mm-hmm. um, and you watch like the ways that a lot of those like fights and stuff were shot, that makes complete sense to me. Well, and draw from good source material. Exactly. And of course, Saving Private Ryan is also very much like anti-war film in mm. a lot of ways. So, Also, you know, as I spoke about it kind of coming along in a very important time in um, history, uh, it was perceived rightly as anti-war, but also perceived as anti-German. And so the Nazis banned it in Germany in the 30s and 40s. And during its brief run in German cinemas in like the early 30s, um, Nazis under Goebbels would disrupt viewings with stink bombs, sneezing powder, and mice. So they're in high school? (laughs) Well, it eventually escalated to attacking members of the audience who they thought were Jewish. Okay. So a little little worse than high school. Good to know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, and I, I feel like that kind of tells you that, you know, which we both understand after having watched this movie, it is extremely powerful in its anti-war message. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of tears were had. A lot well, of I will admit to ugly crying at the very end. So <laughs> I definitely there was a lot of a lot of tearing up. Um, so you know it's it's a testament to how good this film was and how impactful it can be. I think that you had the Nazis going to such great measures to make sure that that anti-war message did not take root. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now um, I think we're going to move into going through All Quiet. Now, the way we're going to run this episode is kind of more chronological with the story um, and talking through some some main points that we want. So very Yeah, we're kind first... of going to go um, like important scene or sequence by important scene or sequence. Mm-hmm. So for, right off the bat, I know when I started watching this film, you have the uh, jubilant parade scene where they're yes. sending off all of the, the soldiers to war. Yeah. And initially my first gut reaction was oh my gosh this is a gorgeous film and some of the cinematography in this scene was strikingly modern to me so you have some very long tracking shots where with the camera being very very mobile which mm-hmm. we haven't seen too much of in the last two uh best yes. picture winners yes definitely and then ultimately you kind of pull back into this classroom i love that shot where they just pull back through that classroom window and you see the professor lecturing in front of this massive chalkboard and on the windows on either side of him you can still see the parading soldiers and like hear the very lively patriotic music as mm-hmm. you like pull back and you see all the really bored students and the professors lecturing them on the Im- why no. they should join the war basically, basically yeah he, he's recruiting them so it was yeah gorgeous scene there Mm -hmm. and then the character of the professor i am not a fan of no he's terrible um it's very much he's giving them this very buzzword laden patriotic speech about why they should join and how like Germany like needs them and they're the sons of Germany and the future of Germany and how honorable it is to go out and fight for their country and yes some of them will die but like there will be honor had by all and they owe this and they should do this and they should be heroic and you know knowing that we're about to watch a movie where we're about to watch these boys die off one by one and experience horrible things and just having any knowledge of war in general and world war one in particular Mm -hmm. like it's so very good irony is is what's going on there it is i mean it's very emotionally impactful because you feel so much for these boys who are getting sort of whipped up into this very like 
warrior's spirit kind of thing and you're watching this professor send these young boys out to war Mm -hmm. because like i mean i have a note too that is this teacher has no fucking idea it's easy for him to say go out and risk your life and sacrifice yourself because he's not the one who's gonna have to be doing the fighting right and spoiler alert we we see him get as much comeuppance as i think well comeuppance is a strong word to use but he does get told off later on in the film and we'll, yes. we'll go into that. Yes, but and it's that was very satisfying. gratifying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, something kind of that I noted about that scene too, uh, the initial one in the classroom is, you know, the boys get kind of like whipped up into this frenzy and they're like, I'm going to join and I'm going to join. And then in the background on the chalkboard, it's ancient Greek, which to me, I was looking at it being like, they're sitting in a classroom learning stuff. That's not going to help them in the middle of the trenches that they're being sent off to by someone who doesn't know anything about modern warfare. Yeah. Um, and then of course the end of that whole sequence, you have just that like decimated classroom, which gave me chills because it's almost like a sneak peek at like the desolation that they're about to go out and face. And it's, I mean, most of the boys in that classroom die. Mm -hmm. So you have this just destroyed classroom and then another thing that I noted in that scene is that, like, the boys don't fully get it either. No, they're mostly excited about not having classes Yes, anymore, you hear them start chanting, which... no more classes, <laughs> and it's just like, these are children. Yes. Well, and that also kind of s- strikes close to me, because, like, the anti-intellectualism of that particular yeah. scene I find distressing. Yes. Well, I, I know that later is that you definitely, when, like, kind of the new, the boys, the students as the new recruits, meet the like old hand soldiers Mm -hmm. there's definitely a class divide where those old soldiers were people who were probably you know potentially in military for a long time as like a career Mm -hmm. or like they would have been drafted earlier and maybe weren't like talked into going and volunteering and now you have the the young idealistic class yes well like the (laughs) idealistic intellectual schoolboys who don't have any idea what it's really going to be like or what you know even real life is to a certain extent just wait yeah oh they learn they learn fast so next in the film we move into the basic training portion which um, pretty standard training well i shouldn't call it a standard training montage it was beautifully shot yes but i feel like it's what you're you're referring to is like this character of himmelstos who's like their sergeant who's like the mean sergeant who kind of whips them into shape a little Mm -hmm. bit which is very much a cliche of the war genre yes and it was interesting to see in one particular scene um they end up wrapping him up and throwing him in a mud puddle in a blanket which i love that shot of there's an overhead shot of them like carrying him in the blanket and then just dropping him in the mud as they continue to walk yep. it's beautiful but that it's interesting that you see the the hazing stuff begin to emerge as, as a trope for war films in this mm-hmm. this particular film here so enjoyed that part but beyond that i don't i didn't find the uh training scenes the basic training particularly yeah, impactful it, it wasn't to the rest super of the noteworthy. I think you do have one or two of the boys who you can tell are not excited about it, but in general, for them, it's. I I have a note that it's like it's almost like summer camp for them, like the way they treat it. And it looked that way too. Yeah, they don't treat the basic training like, you know, super serious. And I think you, with Himmelstos and his strictness, they get like maybe a little idea of what military life is going to be like. But I mean, it's still 
nothing compared to the front lines. Like it, right. it takes them going to the front lines to actually see what that is going to be like, which I think is kind of the next part we want to talk about. Maybe kind of the introduction of the character of uh, Cat. Yeah. So this was. I- <laughs> I loved the contrast between Cat and his old guard in their particular unit. It's such a good character introduction because he just kind of, they're talking about how he's going out to try and scrounge in some food. And like, mm-hmm. if anybody can do it, Cat can do it. And then you just see his head poke out from under that Jeep. Yes. And then like slowly sneak back in. And he ends up just what, stealing a whole hog? Yeah, he just steals <laughs> a pig. Off of off the of train the, or the truck. Food truck. <laughs> But it was seeing the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed right off of basic training recruits come into this particular hollowed-out house that we're in Mm. um, and seeing how they're not welcomed in by most of the current members of that battalion or uh, was it group, troop? I forget that what they call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then you have Kat that's like, eh, screw it. Go bring me some cigarettes and stuff and I'll help provide for you. Yeah, I mean... That immediately had me think, okay, are are the German armed forces not providing for their soldiers at the front? And, well, we get this theme moving forward well, through food, most of the Well, food's a huge deal throughout the entire movie. Like, you know, the ability to have food, the ability to have enough food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's You know, it pops up all the time throughout the movie as being kind of like one of, if not the biggest concerns for right. them. But they're not even on the front lines yet. So that, yeah. that was... Uh, hit well I won't say it hit home but it hit much harder than I expected it to yeah (laughs) given that they weren't even in combat yet um and then just right before we get to that first patrol because I could talk about that first patrol for like hours it's so beautifully shot (laughs) um but there was one other shot that I wanted to talk about when they're getting off that train right before they go and meet Kat and the old guard and it's a view out this massive window of this train station. You see the train, you see people working around the train, and there's a hill, and you see like the soldiers filing up the hill, and you just hear a bomb start mm-hmm. to drop, and it zooms out, and you see the bomb hit, and every, everybody hits the ground, the bomb hits, and then immediately everybody is back up, back to their jobs, doing mm-hmm. whatever they needed to do, and you see kind of the boys who are very startled by it, and then a guy dies next to one of them, and... Uh, Bane and you can see kind of the realization for him that this is now real and the rest of the boys haven't quite gotten there yet yeah pretty powerful and also gorgeous yeah Yeah, also again throughout this whole beautiful cinematography I love the the technique that they use where you're inside uh, some sort of building usually it's kind of derelict well within the case of the the classroom not and train station not so much but you're a spectator looking out Mm-hmm. And adding that sheen of sorts to it as being that spectator, I, I just find it very, very powerful that like, okay, you weren't there. You don't know what went on. Let it show as much as we can what what went on. It's a, it's a very interesting mix of close-ups, tracking shots, and then kind of those wide shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are times when you are extremely sort of like intimate with the troops and with uh, mm-hmm. certain characters and then there are shots that definitely put you in a lot of distance between them as almost like you can't relate or just even to show like massive scale as seen in the uh, like big barrage assault that we'll talk about in a bit as well um, yes, after I think, the first patrol yeah that first patrol <laughs> um, I love that moving shot of them crawling through the trenches to like lay the wire 
um, how the camera like moves with them. And then there's that just absolutely gorgeous bit where you have kind of the boys in their silhouettes and Kat's silhouette in the foreground Mm -hmm. and it's dark and they just all freeze. And then you just see like one flare, two flares. And then the flares just start going and then Kat kind of explains to them and he's like, we got to move like now. Yeah. Well, there was another, all of these scenes at night were, again, I'm, we're a broken record, beautifully shot. Yes. So they had some spotlight work going on to highlight the soldiers running towards them. It reminded me of kind of late Renaissance, early Baroque paintings where you'd have these beautiful contrasts between like very, very dark and then points of light throughout yes. them where it's really drawing your attention to to that portion of the frame and so seeing that done in film was really cool for me i mean honestly that's one of my favorite parts of when you're watching older films this you know in black and white films is the way they can use lighting i think it's mm-hmm. just so effective and so beautiful and honestly kind of with wings and broadway melody that was something i was a little bit disappointed with like I didn't see as much creativity and use of lighting as a way of you know controlling your focus on the scene Mm -hmm. or you know even controlling emotion in the scene but you know you get tons of it in All Quiet on the Western Front to an extremely effective and beautiful end it it was gorgeous I think yeah that's the word of this episode is gorgeous (laughs) I mean there's not an ugly shot in the movie well, maybe one, but <laughs> I, I can't think of one. So with that as well, um, in addition to some of the lighting techniques they used, um, the shot progressions were very rapid through this whole scene. And that's where, in addition to that beginning scene where you had all of the tracking and shots and camera movement, this fast cutting between different views within the action, I felt was very modern like especially for something being well, done it controls the pace the very nicely yes and they continue that technique later on as well yeah um so really good chops to them for that yes the editing is extremely good um also i guess we should talk at this point too we get our first casualty mm-hmm. this is our, our first of the students um bane who of course was the one who was sort of horrified and earlier and they talk about how he you know he didn't want to come he didn't want to join up but they all wanted to and they all pressured so him joined. too so he joined and his de- his death was pretty horrific yeah he got exploded by he was blinded first this sh- like shell blinds him and then you have him screaming because he can't see and then of course he's walking around and screaming and you have the flares going mm-hmm. and the rest of them have kind of retreated into a foxhole and they can hear him. And then finally he's like shot down by an enemy rifleman. It was not a pretty death. That was the first tears for me. Well, and was it cat? So master of understatement. I think it, he said, don't any of you do that again? Yeah. Well, like, and there's a, an exchange <laughs> that I love before that. Cause one of the boys, Albert goes out and gets Bane's. Mm-hmm. Uh, body and brings it and into the foxhole. And what he said, don't yeah, well, do that again to. Well, and Albert mm-hmm. says, you know, um, he's dead. And Kat's response is, then why do you risk your life to bring him back? And Albert says, he's my friend. And Kat says, he's a corpse. Interesting foreshadowing right there. Well, it was just such a interesting juxtaposition between, you know, the battle-hardened soldier that is Kat and these new recruits, whereas they're still processing 
war and what war is and what it means to have joined and what the implications are and Kat has you know been in it a while and he's at that very utilitarian point which we see them reach later when one of their friends um, is wounded later and is dying of infection and has really nice boots and a lot of them are just kind of like they're sad their friend's dying but they're also concerned about who's going to get the boots because I think one of them says I don't want an orderly to end up with them when they're really good boots and like one of us could have them and then of course there's a beautiful sequence where we watch that guy die and another person takes the boots from him and then that person wearing those boots die and there's just this beautiful sequence of shots of the boots um the only constant the boots it's and it's beautiful and again just so effective and i think this is something that we talked a lot about in wings and broadway melody as well is it seeming like in those early movies that people are still trying to figure out how to best use visual cues and very visual storytelling without necessarily giving you the context of um a title card Mm -hmm. or having the character say everything that they're feeling which this movie there are still some bits of Paul monologuing where I was like I I didn't need that like I and it kind of pulled me out of the movie a little bit I think it happens like two times in the movie but I think you know especially with like the boot sequence that we're talking about and sort of following these boots being passed from person to person who dies it's there's no dialogue with that like it's 100% visual and but so effective exactly and it's like I don't know I feel like with all quiet there's a lot of things that i'm like they figured it out Mm -hmm. well and that also i think applies to the scenes in the foxholes that they were in so you have the bombardment going on the dust falling down around them and they're just kind of sitting there playing poker yes like it's i love that nothing and so i really appreciated how they're not talking about the stress they're under but it's evident from the shaking and everything that someone's about to lose paul's trying so hard to be a trooper and like keep it going but you've got like someone crying in the corner Mm -hmm. you've got someone who's having a nightmare about their friend who already died and you know I think one of the notes that I had for Wings was that I wanted them to look a bit more at the psychological like the lasting psychological effects of the war well All Quiet does it like the movie opened with talking about the men who even though they may have escaped its shells were destroyed by the war yeah like as soon as I read that, I knew we were in for, for yeah. a ride. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, and so I guess let's talk a little bit more about that dugout scene because you have kind of the old hands trying to keep the new recruits, you know, sane and safe. Um, but I do love when that commanding officer strolls into the dugout and there's like debris falling from the ceiling and like he's not even noticing. Yeah. He just like strolls in. Well, it's Himmelstoss again, out. right? No, and... it's not. It's not Himmelstoss. Himmelstoss isn't there yet. He's uh, on the front oh, lines yet. Right, this is the commanding officer we like, whose name I don't think we ever find out. And then you've got the scene with them killing all the rats that have been mm-hmm. in the dugout. Just smashing them violently. Yeah. Because they can't smash the enemy, so yeah. how about smash the rats? I mean, that's, and but, of course the rats I'm sure have been driving them nuts. Mm-hmm. Eating their food, what little they have. Yep. But I, in this particular scene too, I really enjoyed the the jump cuts that they put in. So you were focused on each of the men and then you would jump cut to kind of what they're daydreaming. or I, I, That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you're um, showing how even though every single one of them is putting on a good face, inside they're just completely torn up, 
totally unstable. Mm-hmm. Probably shouldn't be out there still. Yeah. But what can you do? Yeah. Um, I think it was at this point, too, that I noted that there really wasn't much score, if any. Oh, I didn't and notice score at all in this film. it carries on throughout the whole movie. I, like, there just, there really isn't one. You get a little use of instruments every now and then, but it's sort of like instrument within the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like at the very end, there's a harmonica that I think we'll talk a little bit about because I do something beautiful with it. But like you, you have the harmonica and you hear the harmonica, but it's very much clearly like somebody, like a character in the movie playing it or supposed to be a character in the movie playing it. But there just like isn't much score. And I found that extremely effective it's very jarring yeah especially because we're used to having something in the background of most films well, these days. it brings an element of realism to it that i think is very important and it also it's like it kind of lets the rest of the movie speak for itself in a way like mm-hmm. they're not manipulating your emotions with music they're not giving you musical cues to tell you how to feel they're right. just showing you these you know ordinary good people in horrible circumstances mm-hmm. and it also emphasizes the peace that happens once the bombardment stops mm. That's yes yes the other thing so instead of a, a score per se you just have the backing of incessant bombing yeah and then when that ends it's so noticeable oh it's jarring Ugh, that and- made me very uncomfortable when everything went all quiet Um, (laughs) unintended puns but uh yeah so i guess moving from that barrage directly into kind of the french push or the french assault on their lines um because this entire sequence is one beautifully shot two extremely emotionally effective in just like how horrible all of the fighting looks and then just kind of how futile all the fighting is Mm mm-hmm because basically the Germans get pushed back from their trench and then push the French back back to the trench. And now they're exactly where they've started. Only most of their company is dead. Mm-hmm. So in the start of those scenes, it, you see a tracking shot going over all of the German men in the trench just sitting there. When it cuts still. between the tracking shot down the trench and just no man's land, like a view of open no man's land. And then it will switch back to the tracking shot mm-hmm. of the trench. And then the view of no man's land. And then it starts cutting between the two faster. Because, like, they're standing in those trenches, nervous, waiting for the French to rush mm-hmm. them. And now we're watching the, this. And now we're like, come on, where are they? Like, we now know they're coming. Too. <laughs> exactly. Like, it definitely, like, it it gets you. And then you finally have the barrage starting with the, the guns. And then out of that rush. All of the French all soldiers. All the French soldiers. Yeah. And some nice shots seeing the French shoulders running over no man's land and all of the different little puddles that you see there. Mm-hmm. But I know the, the one shot that we both really enjoyed or enjoyed is the wrong word, but found extremely effective is the pan coupled with the machine guns. Yes. But just before that, you have that iconic shot of just the two hands holding the barbed wire, which is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that it comes directly from the book. I'm pretty sure it does because I distinctly remember in eighth grade reading that and being horrified by it. So then to see it. Pre-code. I mean, I honestly, I don't know. That probably could have gotten by postcode. Hayes code was mostly like concerned with sex and like anything Those to do with sex. Those dismembered hands there. Ah, Ian, <laughs> we're cutting that. We can cut that We're off. cutting that. That's gross. 
Ew. Yes, I also found the dismembered hands. Yeah. Uh, well, the whole movie's set up to be jarring. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's it's. <laughs> this is another example. It's an anti-war an film, and it's an extremely effective anti-war film. Yes. Um, so from the dismembered hands. Yes, we have. They go into a panning shot across the barbed wire where you see the French soldiers running forward. And then that cuts to scenes of German soldiers in the trench with machine guns mm. mowing down the French soldiers as they run forward. Yeah. And similarly to the beginning where you have the tracking shot flipping back and forth to No Man's Land, you have the same thing between the people running and getting mown down mm -hmm. and then the soldiers in the trench mowing them down. Well, and then, of course, here again, it's the lack of score that is so genius because you can hear one machine gun fire up and you have it switched to them mowing down and you hear like the next machine gun fire up and they're like just overlapping each other as they go down the line um and it's and it goes on for effective. what in my head feels like a beat too long but when i looked back on it that felt more effective because it's yep. like okay when is this going exactly when i think this you know this whole push um sequence that happens it's about six and a half minutes and, you know, one of the things we mentioned in Wings is we're like some of those dog fights just went on too long for us. But for me, the six and a half minute French assault, it doesn't go on too long because one, it's shot so beautifully and so differently and dynamically. But two, it just, it's not that you don't notice it's long, like you know that it's long, but it's just kind of an almost like, when's it going to end? Like, when are the bodies going to stop falling? Because like you have just like the machine guns mowing person mm -hmm. after person after person down. Yeah. And then the French finally get to the trenches and the Germans start to kind of retreat and you have the fighting in the trenches and people are just running over piles of bodies. Mm -hmm. And I kind of loved the way that they shot the Frenchmen jumping into the trench from a very low angle. So it was almost as if you were a German soldier sitting in the trench, watching someone jump down at you. Mm -hmm with their bayonets yeah and then you get pointed. you get into some very like brutal hand-to-hand -hand fighting and i think another bit of brilliance with the way this was shot which i guess goes you know to the cinematographer and the director on this is that you have this very long drawn out fight sequence and we do see our main characters as part of this sequence but there is nothing glamorous about it there is nothing that feels heroic like you're not sitting there being like oh look at the way paul like fended off that guy or like oh my God, Cat, that was such a cool move. Like you're watching Cat beat someone with a spade f because somebody else is trying to bayonet him. Like, Well, and that's probably why I'm generally not a war movie person because the deification that we sometimes see war movies go into is not something that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. And so seeing something that's a little more gritty and more yeah. presumably realistic. Well, and I feel like you don't think of movies from the 1930s. You... I, I would not use the term gritty for them often. But this but was this gritty. But this is. It really is. Like, it doesn't shy away from the horrors of war, and it doesn't glorify them. Exactly. But yeah, and so then, of course, at the end of the sequence, you have the German soldiers falling back, but then rallying, but then they're running back to the trenches that the French just took from them, and you have kind of a mirror sequence of the German machine guns mowing the French soldiers down, with a French machine gun mowing German soldiers down, and it's shot the exact same way, except for the cameras panning the opposite direction. Gorgeous, gorgeous circling back. Yes. Yeah, I love the way that they use camera techniques and like shots and cinematography to form parallels in this movie. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is, I think, the first time of like three or four times where I noticed them setting up a very powerful scene and then circling back 
in a reverse of sorts. So mm-hmm. we'll, when um, so when Paul goes home, we see another scene that kind of had this same feel to me. But we'll we'll talk about yeah. that when yeah. we get when we get there. <laughs> we'll talk a lot about when Paul goes home. Um. So I think you want to talk about the kitchen scene too that happens when they finally get back from the front, kind of going back to that. Yes. importance of food I want to say the cook I could not stand his acting but <laughs> <laughs> I uh, appreciated the scene overall where this cook is for reasons that we have no clue just saying no I will not feed all of your men even he's like, though it's for your entire or he's, company he's like I'm supposed to f- I cooked for 150 there are only 80 of you here I can't feed you until the entire 150 is here and they're like well the rest of us died like you mm-hmm. cooked for I think it's the second company like we are the second company, we're what's left. Like, and this is, I think, interesting where you start to see that very utilitarian survival outlook. Because mm-hmm. I think someone says you shouldn't punish us for having the good fortune to have survived when right. the others didn't. And it's kind of this idea of like, you know, half of our company being wiped out. Like it's sad, but it's also good for them in a way because now mm-hmm. they're actually going to have adequate food. Just like with the boots. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it's, again, the beginning of seeing how unsupported the soldiers at the front lines were. Yeah. And so this was, well, I, there was already a food scarcity when they were in the trenches. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what, like, where this fits in the World War One timeline. I don't know if it's, like, super early in the war. If they're having food shortages, I'm... My, I'm guessing it's later on well the german army also actually just had supply line issues because they like went so fast through belgium and stuff Mm -hmm. that they had problems with their supply line keeping up interesting yeah well not good for their frontline soldiers regardless no no i mean war is never good for the frontline soldiers but that scene too once they're actually fed i the dialogue between the men yeah is, like they're delving into the military industrial complex well, here this is this is almost where you get kind of the theme of the movie because it's i called it the how do they start a war conversation mm-hmm. because someone's basically like how does something like this even get started and someone's like well one country offends another country and then there's the one guy who god i love this so much he goes well, I shouldn't be here at all because I'm not offended. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite lines from that is, every full-grown emperor needs at least one war to make him famous. And that just... Yeah. Oh. oh, I mean, it just gets the idea that you have these political bodies, these sort of like higher-ups who decide to go to war, but they're not the ones who have to fight the war. They're right. not the ones who have to die in the war or survive the war with the trauma of the war that's the everyday people it's the people who never had a problem with the country next door who have to go and do that and that's you know one of the biggest messages of this movie yeah very effective in that scene Mm -hmm. oh um i did want to mention briefly that there's the set of the blown out house that they have kind of around this point Mm -hmm. where it's got all the fancy furniture in it but it's like missing half a wall Mm -hmm. um I just thought it was beautiful set design. And yeah, in continuation with the, let's look at this blown out building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we'll have our portions inside that are, that are us. So like we've been brought into this particular set of men's lives in the war. Yeah. But we're still seeing all of the activity in the background yeah. and kind of just getting like a little peep at what, what well, it was actually Well, and then it's just like, like showing just the general destruction too. Cause mm-hmm. you've got what was obviously a very fine house that's now being used as, sort of a military barracks kind of 
Yeah. And so I think this now leads on um, to the scene where we have Paul in the trench with the French soldier. That is a scene I remember very vividly from the book. That is also, in the movie, one of the scenes where I was like, Paul needs to not monologue so much because it felt very not in keeping with the rest of the movie. The other ones where he does that prayer was Kimmerich's dying. Mm-hmm. And he's like, God, don't let Kimmerich die. And I'm like, don't say that in front of Kimmerich. Also, this is weird. <laughs> and I've now been pulled out of the movie. Um, and I, with like some of the stuff that Paul says to the French soldier, some of it worked for me, some of it didn't. Well, it was a little schmaltzy, but... And I'm not sure if that it's was... It's a product of its time. I'm not sure if it was Lou Ayres' performance or if it was just the writing and the fact that like it just kind of didn't need to all be there. And I tend to lean towards the writing part because Lou Ayres gives such nice performances mm-hmm. the rest of the movie um, and gives some really nice subtle performances. Also, I'm pretty sure he was like 21 when he got this part. which Jeez. So he's really good. But also it fits, and I actually kind of like that because it fits with roughly what the age of this character would be right so good casting on that yeah part. exactly I, th- I think all around it was really good casting so in that trench scene too though i i very much appreciated the setting so i i believe they were in a church or at least well, he, I, they're near the a church when he gets wounded scene, yeah yeah they're in a church cemetery and they're diving for cover and so they're literally lying amongst the dead there yeah and i think paul got pushed into a broken casket at one point in that as well maybe i it, it was some wooden box yeah my guess is it's a casket <laughs> oh yeah there's there's the the way they framed that yes exactly and I so that, that was creepy as hell <laughs> loved it and then he ends up in the trench with this guy and yes. what really got me is when he went through the frenchman's wallet <laughs> well and it's it's seeing that and i think he even straight up says it which i was like paul you don't need to say it we can see it but the idea that they're not any different from each other that like they're rushing at each other with bayonets when they have no beef with each other but you know because I think, they've been told to exactly and i think you know he even says in another life we could have been friends that entire sequence is very poignant and like i said it's something that i remembered very vividly from the book mm-hmm. but then there's like afterwards it's weird because he's like talking to i think cat about it and he goes after all war is war or something like that and it was like i was like that's a weird line and not what i thought you took away from that experience well what cat took away no no, no, or... no what paul paul says it i mean to me that's some character development there i don't want to say growth but maybe it's starting to maybe see it was the how... delivery that was weird to me i don't know like that for some weird reason like that line i was just kind of like that huh to me that felt more like him trying to justify to himself so it was almost like a a denial thing or a coping mechanism as opposed to him actually believing that yeah i guess that's true so i don't know i liked it (laughs) so after that morbid scene that's when we start moving into their sort of break or leave time where they're in the They're just not theater. on the front lines. Yeah. yeah. And so they're in this uh, theater drinking. I think, I think it's like it's like kind of a bar where there was also like a, it looks like a, maybe a cabaret act had mm-hmm. come through or something. But it, 
it was interesting to see how now you just have these young men just drinking and being crazy and doing weird things. They're being young men. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole scene with the poster. I loved that (laughs) shot of them talking to the poster and like joking around about the poster of like, there's like a poster of like the woman who would like come through as the cabaret act and like a man. Mm -hmm. And they're like talking as if they were going to ask the young lady mm-hmm. out and stuff and you can see the poster and then there's a big mirror next to it where you can see their reflections yes. the way that was set up was it was fantastic. beautifully shot and i love the dialogue it was a nice kind of like funny charming moment mm-hmm. which this movie it does have some of they do have some very like funny moments like you know right before the scene with paul being in the uh foxhole with the dying frenchman mm-hmm. himmelstoss gets brought to the front and right before they go on that push Paul just keeps glancing over at him also and like smirking. <laughs> like, yeah, you're about to see. You're about to see. And it like kind of cracks me up. Well, Himmelstoss was a blowhard anyway. So I. Uh... Yeah, no, but like, but like there, there are some like nice little like comedic charming moments for, you know, a movie that is so incredibly bleak most yes. of the time. Yes. Which then the, the scene with the three French women was definitely a comedic lift. Well, portions of it were. Well, it's interesting, though, because it is it is sort of a comedic lift, but it also shows that, like, yeah, the soldiers are suffering, but there are also civilians right. suffering because these women want nothing to do with these German soldiers. Until they have until food. Until they have food. So, again, you know, the idea of food, not only important to the soldiers, it's important to the civilians. And, like, right. something as basic as food is now consuming people's time and just consuming people's thoughts i mean granted well, i think about food a lot <laughs> <laughs> don't we all but like but this is a different level exactly, exactly this is they're willing to have the soldiers over for a fun time yeah so that they can i mean they're food. trading sex for food yeah yeah oh and that mono well, which i have more to say Paul monologuing at the end there yes. which <laughs> i'll never see you again dear which okay we're like yes we know paul <laughs> um but i actually there's a very interesting way that to me the way that was shot so as we noted, this is pre-Haze Code. And butts. Hey, yes, like the butts and wings. <laughs> were there, oh, there were more butts there, in this too. Yes, when they were playing in the Yeah, river. I forgot. <laughs> we had more butts. Um, but in general, Haze Code, as I said earlier, Haze Code has a problem with sex. And any sort of like reference to prostitution was like a no-no under mm-hmm. the Haze Code. Well, obviously, there's a level of prostitution in this scene and they're pretty explicit about it too Mm -hmm. but it was interesting to me the way that they had the shot instead of like having a shot of paul and the girl in bed even though it's very clear that they are in bed together well you you see see, the headboard reflected you see the shadow of the like headboard against the wall and it's just a static it's maybe like one of the few static shots Mm -hmm. in this film and even it's framed beautifully but you can just it's like just held on the shadow of this headboard against the wall as they're talking mm-hmm. so i just thought that was interesting because like they didn't you know, explicitly show it but they didn't have to well exactly oh yeah i mean the haze code was even like you can't imply anything and everyone was like calm down haze code <laughs> but um i i think it's interesting because you know we talk about like pre-code and stuff but like pre-code wasn't even like that quote risque well, in put yourself in the mind of a 1930s I mean, yes, this is also 1930s. <laughs> but still, like, I don't know. I just thought that was very interesting. Yes, I thought it was a really... It, it, I felt it was an impactful way because it wasn't about... Ultimately, it wasn't about the sex. It was about the exchange for food. Well, and also just, like, 
being around another human being in this awful time when, you know, neither of them knows for sure that they're going to live through it. Right. So I also loved the bit when Paul leaves, he leaves that house and then the door opens back up and you see him hang the jacket back and it's as if he was never there. Come and gone. Which I thought, like, I again, like, it ties back to the conversation he has with, I think her name is Suzanne. Yes. And just kind of, like, the lack of permanence of anything for the people who are involved in this mm-hmm. war. Very effective scene. Yes. Now, to go on a slight tangent that's related, they left one of their buddies back at <laughs> the cabaret hall. Yes. And it killed me because they spilled a giant bottle of liquor. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, come on, y'all. You don't have food. But you're going to spill all this liquor. I feel like they probably had like more liquor than they had food. True. But still, don't spill it. (laughs) I like that Katz was a willing accomplice, too. (laughs) Yes. Well, he knows. It's almost like he... Well, he definitely is the father figure of that group. He's he's the father figure. He's like an uncle. Or like... He's the protector. He is the parental... I would say, you know, in some sense, he's also a maternal figure. Yeah. Um, He is basically... He is the the parent, the protector of that group, which suddenly made a light bulb go out on my in my head, which is why Kat has to die before Paul dies at the mm-hmm. end, which we will talk more about. I just got real sad again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. Uh-oh. Anyway, so skipping ahead to the scene he, where he, he is in the military hospital. Yes. This the, was... The dying room yes, that they talk so about. Yes, so scary for me, where it's like they take you out. <laughs> if they take you to the dying room, if they take your clothes, you're not coming back. Yeah. And so he's there after getting... I believe he was stabbed? Or stabbed Maybe or he shot stabbed. It's like he's stabbed. He's like stabbed um, or shot in a push. It's not like a, a big action sequence, but it's basically just like Paul gets wounded. Mm-hmm. And so he's in the hospital, bleeding, gets removed from the ward and yeah the scene he's of him, fighting them and he's like i'm coming back i'm gonna come back like i'm not just gonna go off and die right well now one paul don't exert yourself you're gonna die if you do that <laughs> <laughs> but two that that was even more effective than having the long-term ward uh patient talking to paul about how if they take your clothes you're not coming back. yeah um because suddenly we're very worried about paul too exactly. well and i think it's it's again just showing that it's not just the front line that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's World War One. This is before penicillin. Like, mm-hmm. dying of infection was crazy common. And even, you know, earlier in the film when they have the friend who gets wounded and does die of, like, an infection. Um, I think it's implied he died of an mm-hmm. infection. Um, you have that doctor walking around, you know, just wiping off his hands. And they're like, doctor, can't you do something for this guy? And he's like, I've, like, been in surgery with 30 different people this morning. Yeah. Like, and I have, like, another two hours of this ahead of me and it's just you know these hospitals you know even the ones away from the front line like that was in some ways just as dangerous and it was Mm -hmm. just as terrifying and then of course you have paul's friend who loses a leg and you see how incredibly devastating that is for him that like yeah he's gonna survive but he's like i don't like i don't know what to do with the rest of my life now um because he's devastated by you know people being like oh well we have really good like prosthesis these days which by our standards today would be terrible but i mean at the time they they were were revolutionary yeah but like you know just seeing kind of like that sorrow and again seeing that long-term damage Mm -hmm. you know both physical and psychological again though they may not have been killed by the shells definitely impacted yep 
so after this, we move into Paul going home on leave. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to unpack in this oh, entire yes. sequence. First off, just so the last time we saw this town was in the opening with people cheering and the military band playing and the soldiers marching through together in their perfect shiny sparkly uniforms. And now the town is basically dead. Well, and there was even on the street a mother and son where Paul is walking and they see him and this could just be me misinterpreting what they were going for, but it almost looked as if that mother was like, no, don't look at this soldier. You won't become them. I don't want you to become them. So seeing that impact back in the cities was even Mm -hmm. more impactful with that. Well, and then of course, Paul gets home. His mother's been sick. I made a note that uh, his sister looked crazy. She had some crazy eyes going on. Well, it sounds like with a sick mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A father that doesn't look like he can do... No, the father. The father's there. Like, it's not like they don't have the father, but you kind of want to be like, what is the father even doing? Not much, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and you have Paul, of course, telling his mom it's not that bad. Just for her own sake. Exactly. That's heartbreaking. Well, and she's sick in bed. Yeah. So this whole thing is just... just Lou Ayers' performance through this entire sequence was so good. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you can see him just like holding back and, you know, I think moving on to the scene in the, I guess the beer hall where Paul's there with his dad, one of his like dad's friends and the professor from the beginning. And, and they're, they're talking through strategy. Talking through war. They, I think they've got a map open on the table and they're talking through strategy and being like, they just need to do this. Or like, you guys just need to push here. Like, isn't that right, Paul? And, and Paul you know is what my note for that silently. point is? How dare you, sir? <laughs> These yes. people have no clue what it means to just exactly. break through and you the can line see here. Every bit of that on Paul's face. And I also love that Paul is wearing a civilian suit and not his military uniform. Yes. It's almost like he doesn't want to be associated with the yes. war at all. Exactly. And I mean, he doesn't, which he later straight up says. Um, but yeah, just listening to them talk about it. And then there's one part where, oh, I wanted Paul to slug that teacher because I think the teacher says something about the best for our soldiers or something being only the best for our soldiers. Remember, we've talked multiple times about how they can barely feed themselves and the military doesn't seem to always be able to feed them. And, of course, the best thing for these soldiers is if there was no war. Absolutely. Like, hands down. Ugh. And then, of course, you have, after the scene in the beer hall, the professor tells Paul to come by the school and he's giving the same lecture that he gave the exact same speech to these kids who and I like that they the kids in the classroom are even younger Mm -hmm. than the ones they made sure there was an age difference there which was well and it's also impactful because it's like not only is he giving the same spiel but he's giving it to people who are even younger right and Paul's reaction and the teacher trying to get Paul to basically help him recruit that he's like this is Paul like he's a soldier like you. And then Paul's basically like, it's horrible out there. Don't sign up. I was you several years ago and I signed up and I'm miserable and I've lost basically all of my friends. And the teacher's like, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. And basically that was another, how dare you sir moment. Oh my God. How fucking dare you sir. (laughs) But like, it's this idea that he is telling Paul the actual soldier that he knows nothing about war. This teacher has never been to war. He has never seen war. He has had no contact with the front lines. Like the closest he has had contact with the front lines is that he knows Paul and that he's wanting to send more people out Mm -hmm. there to die. And all he knows is the theory. And like, I'm sure he's studied like 
the Spartans and like the Romans and then things. Because that was so glamorous. Well, yeah, it, it's that <laughs> idea of like romanticizing the future or the past and then romanticizing war on top of that by people who have had nothing to do with war and they don't right. know. Yeah, yeah I got. can't stand it. The fact that no, he goes and back I love early, it because I, I couldn't stand it either. And I, well, I like that Paul straight up says to the teacher, "I wrote this down because I was like, yes, Paul." Um, it says it's easier to say go out and die than it is to do it. Right. And I love when he's just, I'm pretty sure this was taken straight from the book, but I love his description of being out in the trenches. And he says every day, a year, every night, a century. And it's so good. And of course the kids like kind of get mad at him. I think some of you see, it's almost like some of the kids, it registers to them that this teacher's full of it. And, and then, then others, others are, are totally mad behind. at Paul. Yeah. Cause they're like, how dare you say something like that? And it's like, he knows. You don't know. He knows. Exactly. Oh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. The fact that he goes back early is so telling. And I didn't, I'm not going to say that I enjoyed it, but I thought it was effective. Yes. Well, it's the whole idea of the lost generation. And I think they have an earlier conversation where one of the boys say, well, what are we supposed to do out after the war? Because, you know, with the older soldiers, they're like, well, you have like a wife to go back to. And like, you have a farm, but like, what do we have to go back to? Nothing. Exactly. And because... I think the idea is like they could go back and like go to university, but like it, that seems meaningless to them now. What? You don't want to learn ancient Greek after fighting a horrible, horrible war against the French? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's really, I think it touches very strongly on the idea of the lost generation without ever having to say it and without ever having to like be explicit about it by showing it to you. Although to be fair, I'm not sure when the term lost generation exactly got coined. So I'm not well, sure the concept was... I'm sure is still even yeah, before yeah. the term was coined. Yeah, yeah. So, so now Paul is back after his leave and coming into his company's barracks of sorts, which is a, again, a hollowed out house. And there's a bunch of young new recruits. They're the same age as all of the kids. I have a note that says Paul's the cat now. Paul is the cat. Like he is now officially one of the old ones. And that was even more jarring to me. <laughs> it's like these, when you hear about kids going off to war, you think like, okay, they're like 20. No, these are like 14 and 15 year olds, or at least they looked like that. To yeah. Me. They look they were so young, tiny. And, but you still, fortunately, Kat is still around at this point. Not Comes, oh, And that's where. Yeah. yeah. So Paul we goes should out just to, jump into yeah, that. we'll just talk about this. Um, I may tear up again. Paul goes out to find Kat, who's like rummaging around looking for food. As he does. Yeah. And then you see that single plane going overhead. And I kind of want to be like, it's David Armstrong from Wings. But I Except didn't. Except I didn't want to. I didn't want David to kill Kat. It's a whole circle. It's actually in the same universe. Wings and... <laughs> oh, it's like Marvel before Marvel. <laughs> all quiet. Actually, technically, yes, they are in the same universe because they're both about World War One, which is a real event. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> But yeah, you have that single plane that it cuts to multiple times before it ever drops that bomb. And I'm just watching it and I'm like, go away. You know what you're going to do. Go but away. But you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and it's so effective too, because I, I remembered Kat dying from the book or I thought I did. And then he got wounded and I was like, oh, he's oh, not dead. oh, Kat, does Kat just get wounded? And then of course you have Paul picking Kat up and carrying him. And I think it's so effective because Kat says very early on, he's like, it's not the big loud bombs you got to worry about. It's the tiny ones. And he goes, when you see which one, it's the tiny bomb that Mm -hmm. gets him. And two, he says, when you see me hit the ground, 
that's when you should be worried and you should hit the ground and hope you hit it before I do. And I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, Paul hits the ground before Kat does when that small bomb goes off and Kat gets wounded. And then, of course, Paul picks Kat up and there's a second explosion later Mm -hmm. and Paul doesn't hit the ground and that's the one that I think kills Kat. That he's carrying over his shoulder and, of course, Paul's just talking the whole time. Yeah. Okay, enough with the monologues, Paul. But then when he he finally gets what is now Kat's body back to the med tent, that we know from seeing Paul how devastated he is about what just went down. But you have the two orderlies or doctors, I'm not sure. They're manning the tent there. And all that they care about is, did you get his number? Yeah, well, because, you know, there are so many deaths coming through there to them it's another mm-hmm. number it's a number another statistic and i mean you know even when you're studying world war one you learn about it in terms of numbers and statistics x many french million frenchmen died x many million germans died x many civilians died but like mm-hmm. for the people who were in that war it was personal as my friend died right and it was cat died dichotomy between seeing cat as cat and cat as a number is just yeah heartbreaking yes um and, and now course. things go downhill fast. So. Yeah, because, again, Cat is the parent. Cat is the protector. Cat mm-hmm. is now dead. And now Paul is unmoored. Yeah. So we have kind of the last bit where you see Paul, and I think I think it's implied that he's still very much grieving for Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have this harmonica playing in the background. It's the only music playing. It's some of the few music from the film at all. And Paul sees a butterfly, which earlier when he was home, he's kind of the one nice conversation he had when he was home was with his sister talking about like the butterflies. And when she gave him one. Yes, exactly. And Paul sees it. And then you have this shot of just the butterfly on this like desolate patch of earth and like a hand, Paul's hand reaching for the butterfly. Then the harmonica stops. You hear a gunshot and the hand goes limp. And I started sobbing. I'm about like tearing up <laughs> talking about it right now. It's so beautiful. Interesting fact, that was shot post-production. The actors were no longer available. That is the director's hand. Which is why when you see the hand, you're like, that hand looks a little old to be like. Oh, I didn't think Paul's that hand. at all. Oh, I was I like, was, that hand I was, I was like, I was moment. like, that hand looks a little odd for some reason. It's because it's the director's hand, but uh, but the end oh, that so cap to the end of it is just Well, and then like after that shot happens like and after the harmonica ended like there's no music and it fades to just the boys like the characters from earlier because there's a shot earlier of all the boys as they march off to war and then periodically one of them will turn and mm-hmm. look over their shoulder and it fades to just like that sequence and it's the parade of the, the no the sound fallen. exactly which only made me cry harder. Yeah, Again, no, ugly it's, cried. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so effective and it's so beautiful and it's just this movie has a mission and it 100% delivers. Yes, and in the most beautiful way possible. Yes, um, but yeah, that it's them marching off to war, faded over a graveyard. It's beautiful. At this point, definitely on my top of the list. So for it's, me, it's it's all quiet, then wings, and then, then Broadway, Broadway Melody, Melody for yeah. me. No, I, mine's exactly the same, um, and I actually have a feeling that all quiet might be sitting at the top of my list for a while we'll see yeah we'll see i may get i may get surprised by some stuff but um it's it was almost flawless for me honestly i'd be comfortable with that 
but yes, I would say it was an almost shot. flawless movie for me. Overall, minus the cook, great acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, it's very interesting because I think with Wings and Broadway Melody, a lot of what we talked about, we were like, oh, you can kind of see like the beginnings of what we think of as a best picture. To me, All Quiet on the Western Front was a fully crystallized best picture. Yes. Like when it it won to me because it's an amazing picture and because it's shot beautifully. The cinematography is amazing. The directing is good. The performances are good with the exception of the cook who you have issue with. So much issue. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's just overall a very good film. And again, it had a very specific mission and it delivered on it. 100%. Absolutely. So I know at this point we usually go back through our notes and are like, did you have any funny notes? I didn't have any funny notes. I don't think I had film. any ones that were funny. Mine are a <laughs> Other lot than of butts in the river scene. Other <laughs> <laughs> than butts. Um, I, yeah, I think a lot of my notes were just outrage. Pretty much. Mostly directed at that teacher. Or the people trying to tell them how to break through the uh, trenches. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, I I get mad when someone who doesn't do my job tries to tell me how to do my job. Can you imagine if you were a soldier at war and someone was trying to tell you how to do war? I actually can't. But I can empathize. (laughs) Well, with that, this has been our take on All Quiet on the Western Um, Front. Yeah, I think of the movies we've watched so far, if there's... I mean, granted, we've only done three, but if there was one that someone was like, oh, what's the one I have to watch? 10 for 10 would recommend. This is the one. Um, So yeah, uh, we know this episode was a bit more of a downer, but we promise that our next episode will not be as much of well it maybe i think that one also has some issues we got to tackle but um yeah so hopefully it we won't have another one that's so much of a downer for a while at the very least um in the meantime if you need to find us on social media we are at best pictures pod on both instagram and twitter um or if you have any feelings that you need to discuss about all quiet on the western front maybe it caused you to cry a lot too um maybe you just need to discuss how incredibly beautiful it was and say the word gorgeous a million times when describing it um feel free to email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com and with that i'm ian and this is maggie and thanks for listening we'll see you next time